<clears throat> well, good morning, church. Great to see you. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Lauren and I, we got a great day with family, eating plenty of food. Uh, I don't. How many Black Friday shoppers are in here, by the way? Are you? Now, there's those are some shy hands. Is it like 5 a.m. Black Friday? We're out the door, Starbucks in hand. Hit it. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the deal. Our Black Friday this year was, I think, the greatest Black Friday of all Black Fridays in the history of my book. Because we slept in and binge watched a TV show and stayed home all day. It was perfect. Loved it. The, it's ideal. I think we bought a rug. Right, babe? Did we buy a rug? I think we bought a rug on the computer, online. Yeah, we just ditched the lines. We went straight for it. But hey, I, uh, I just want to echo what Scott was saying about the Every Child Oregon and this opportunity we have to bring in shoes. Uh, it may seem like a small thing to buy a pair of shoes and, and that are name brand to a degree and, and have a, a child that is in the foster care system be able to have, but it may seem small, it's really not though. The stories that we heard from Shelly uh, and Every Child Oregon over the last year, the amount of value that those young people were shown by getting something that's brand new, that's really cool. And right now kids think shoes are the coolest thing out there. When you got a cool pair of kicks, you fit in well. And for them in a season of life where it's challenging to feel some sense of value or worth or belonging, it is a small gesture that we as a church can step into. Uh, and just want to encourage you to write a note. Put a note in that box of shoes and just say, you are loved. May God be with you. Something that is meaningful and caring uh, for their heart and that. Because it does make a big deal. So, again, 125. 125, I think we can do it. Yeah, church? Yeah, all right, here we go. Well, summer of 2015, uh, I got the really unique opportunity to do an internship with a mission organization that kind of did logistics for short-term mission trips for youth group to then come in and serve at a location for a week and then leave. And they did all kind of the back-end work, the scheduling of jobs, the getting of materials, the worship, uh, the devotionals, the meals, kind of those things. And it was myself and a handful of uh, other people interning under this gentleman, and, and it was a wonderful summer. It was incredible for me. I was in a season of life where I had stopped flying helicopters, which was kind of the career path I wanted to go, and was just working and was really looking and searching for what was next. I knew that waiting tables at Red Robin wasn't the thing for me, but I really just didn't know what it was. And so we spent a, a week in Seattle and then a month in Jamaica, a month in Nashville, Tennessee, and a couple weeks in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And we were kind of all over the place. We had different teams in each week. And it was really, really uh, a unique and powerful summer for me. Uh, I had a very wrong understanding of what ministry was. I thought ministry was you go and do and then you leave. I didn't really understand that ministry was all about relationship. And the gentleman that I interned under, the Lord used him in a really powerful way to help reshape what ministry really is for me. That ministry is about relationship. The ministry is really about people and not so much what you do. And over the course of this summer, I began to hold on to every moment. Every early morning devotional, every job site activity, every fun thing we did, every session, every devotional, like everything I just clinged on to, every single moment I didn't want to miss a thing. The Lord was doing something new in me. He was reorienting what I thought was ministry into something that was actually healthy, proper ministry. And the Lord used this summer actually to, uh, to shape my view of what ministry looks like. 
And he, uh, we have this term that we stole from a, a larger quote uh, by a missionary named Jim Elliott who did a lot of mission work. Um, and he has this longer quote, but we shrunk it down to this aspect of just be here. Wherever we are, we want to be fully present and be totally in the moment. And that, really the underlying to that is kind of what Jen and Brian talked about is don't miss this. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss what the Lord is doing right here, right now, because we're distracted about what could be or we're reflecting on what happened. Don't miss this moment. And this moment, this summer, was what the Lord used to shift my heart and my mind into what ministry really is and then ultimately call me into full-time vocational ministry. After that summer, I stepped on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which then allowed me to meet my wife, which then we served together, which through FCA I actually met Scott, and then lo and behold, I get to come on staff here at Journey Church and work with teens and discipleship. And it was because of this summer and really this longing in me to not miss a thing. Each of us have moments like this that we don't want to miss a moment. We don't want to miss any aspect, any emotion, any even smell, anything that goes on. We don't want to miss a thing. Some of, them, for some of us, it might have been a, a birth of a child or a sibling where we're just in that moment holding that baby. Lauren and I have some friends who just had a baby and we got to hold her and, and she is tiny too, which is really, but just like, I don't want to miss this. And she was crying the whole time I was holding her. I don't know what that means about me, but just like, I don't want to miss this. Like, I don't really care that she's crying. I don't want to miss this moment. Maybe, maybe it was your wedding day or, or somebody you love or care for their wedding day. You don't want to miss a moment you to be part of every aspect of it. Maybe it was a, 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 a passing away of a loved one. Now, Lauren and I got to sit next to her mom's bed as she passed on to eternity with Jesus. Uh, and same thing, hard, very hard moment. Didn't want to miss a thing though. Maybe it was a, a special trip or a vacation that was really meaningful to you and you hung on every moment or an athletic accomplishment, maybe a musical performance that really captivated all of your attention. Why though? Why do these things captivate us? Why do they pull on every aspect of our attention, our emotion, our focus. And really it's because something is shifting. Something is changing the very way in which your life functions. The more focus that we bring to something, the more attention we have to it, the deeper we're able to understand the impacts and the value, the meaning, and even maybe the purpose of the moment that you're going through. For me, that internship, those three months, shifted a huge piece of my heart and my mind, reshaping what ministry was and ultimately calling me into full-time ministry. It changed everything for me. Those moments are powerful, and we don't want to miss a thing. Cool aspect is Scripture actually has a word for this. Bible uses the word behold, which is as a staff, what we believe the Lord led us into as we come into this Advent season where we want to behold the Messiah, Jesus. We don't want to miss the moment where we get to celebrate and participate in the birth of our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
the word behold is used 1,298 times in the King James translation of scripture. So this is a word that is very present and prevalent throughout all of scripture, actually, when we read it. It is one that the Lord uses often to captivate people's attention. And like Olivia mentioned earlier, the literal Greek translation means be sure to see this. In other words, don't miss this. This season of Advent, we, and I do say we, I did ask for permission, uh, as a staff, want to invite you to behold the Messiah. To not miss this moment. To look and see, to pay attention to Jesus, the one who impacts our lives in a great, deep way, beyond any event could, the one who, for me, reoriented the way in which I viewed an entire aspect of his calling for my life, the one who truly does change everything, the Prince of Peace, the the Son of God, the promised King since Genesis chapter 3 the one that the entire Old Testament speaks about, the most famous man that's ever existed, Jesus Christ. That's what we want to invite you into over the next four weeks as we lead up to Christmas. Sound good? Right on. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 33 this morning. We're going to kind of jump into the middle of the story and, and the whole purpose of this is really to come to this aspect that Jesus really has been spoken about for thousands and thousands of years. And Jeremiah calls the people, God's people, Israel, to do the same in a really unique time. Uh, Just a little bit of context as we get there. Chapter 32 and 33, uh, Jeremiah is in prison by his own people even more fascinating, because he spoke to them the words from the Lord. He prophesied to them that they were going to be taken over by the Babylonian culture and society. Uh, At this point in time, Jerusalem was uh, at siege. They were surrounded by the Babylonians. Nothing was getting in or out. uh, And the people were literally cut off from resources, from food, from other people. They couldn't leave. Nothing could come in. And what God told Jeremiah to tell his people is that, hey, the Babylonians are going to take you over. And so they threw him in prison. Interesting. But so he's in the middle of prison when we pick up these words. Uh, And these words uh, are from God himself. Just remember that. As we read these, we're going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. And this is right in the middle of God's promise to his people through Jeremiah that God will bring peace. So if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand as we read these verses Uh, And we do this out of a sense of reverence uh, and for the Holy Scriptures uh, as we read this. Verse 14 of chapter 33 is where we'll pick up. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at the time I will cause a righteous branch, notice the capital B, the righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be declared, the Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
What is this promise? Who is the righteous branch of David? This is the the promise of the long-expected and foretold Messiah, the Savior of God's people, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the one that we celebrate now in this season of Advent. And since Genesis 3, the coming Messiah has been prophesied or foretold for generation after generation after generation. After the fall of man, God set in motion his plan to save man, all of humankind, through his Messiah. And as we read through the Old Testament, you see time and time again this promise of this Savior, this Messiah. But don't miss this in verse 16. where God says in those days, which he's speaking to the days where this promise will be fulfilled, Judah will be saved. Remember, in the moment, they are surrounded, cut off, and ultimately do get captured and taken into exile, and many of God's people are killed. In this moment, what God is telling his people is that they will be saved. But in the moment, they weren't experiencing it. Church, these are words of of hope for God's people in a time of crisis. People need hope. Now. Right here. Right now. Uh, Jen, Brian, thank you for sharing this morning. And uh, and we're grateful to be in a, a, a small group with Brian and Jen and and to be able to, to walk with you all in the season where it's hard. <laughs> it just was, like you were saying. And to be able to link arms with y'all and to pray with y'all that the Lord would open some sort of door, that there would be some hope that you two could be able to spend more time together because you really enjoy spending time together, obviously. Uh, and to see the Lord come through in that and provide the perfect thing for you all is just, it's hope building And so thank you for sharing that with us, that it may build our hope this morning too. Uh, As we were talking beforehand, you mentioned that hope is an opportunity to see God at work. And when we have hope for life here, we begin to see the Lord working around us. We begin to see him, whether it's opening doors or closing doors, or we begin to see him shifting hearts or relationships be repaired. Hope, uh, I think of... um, I listened to a number of podcasts, and one of which they interview a fair amount of uh, POWs from the Vietnam War. And they're interviewing a guy who was in a POW camp for over 10 years in Vietnam. And they asked him, like, what, was, what kept you going? And he was like, hope. Hope that someday we'd be rescued. I'm like, well, what's the difference maker between you and other guys who, were, who, who died or were killed? Or, he's like, they lost hope. Hope can be a really powerful self-motivated, and we have hope in Jesus, we constantly come back to him like you two are saying. We come back to him saying, Lord, I don't understand this, but this is like what we're wanting, Lord. How can you make this happen? Hope is a beautiful thing, and sometimes in life, uh, this is where a powerful community comes into play. Sometimes in life, we just need somebody else to point out hope to us. We need somebody else to say, hey, I think, I think that's a place to place our hope. Which reminds me, especially in this season, I love the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says this about who Jesus is. He says, behold, again, pause, don't miss this. Be sure to see this. Behold the Lamb of God as Jesus walked by him. 
which taketh away the sins of the world. This is hope. Jesus, the Messiah, is the hope. And not only because he takes away our sins, but because he also gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He places value. He calls us into a relationship. And he invites us to play a role in his kingdom that is playing out here and now, in our present day. Hope is not this intangible or vague thing, nor is it found anywhere in this world. Anything and everything and everyone here is going to let us down. This side of heaven, it's the world that we live in, fallen and broken. The, uh, one of the effects when we place our hope wrongfully, whether it's in maybe that next job or maybe it's uh, this next opportunity at school or maybe we place our hope in the economy or maybe we place our hope in some political person or maybe we place our hope in a leader at work or maybe we place our hope in a pastor. It's been sad to see the reality of the church over the last four or five years where a lead pastor of large church at large church after large church has some sort of moral failure and there seems to be a falling away of people that place their hope in a pastor and not in Jesus. Next thing you know, they lose their hope because it was in a man and not God. One of the side effects when we wrongfully place our hope is stress. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I love people, and I love asking people how they're doing and what's going on, and the, the common answer is no longer, oh, busy. Man, I'm just busy. It's, man, I'm kind of stressed out. There's a lot happening. There's some stress on me. It's interesting. A friend sent me this article, but the American Psychological Association just released a study on Americans and stress. Strap in for this one. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard one to swallow, but it's the truth and the reality of the world that we live in right now. An alarming proportion of adults, that's 18 plus, reported that stress has an impact on their day-to-day -day function, with more than a quarter, 27%, saying that most days they are so stressed they can't function. Nearly half, 46% of those under 35. One in every four people are so stressed that they can't get out of bed in the morning time. That's what this study says about Americans. And those under 35, that's 18 to 34-year-olds, almost half of them, struggle to function on a day-to-day -day basis because they are so stressed. People, our friends need hope. This is not a topic that is far away from people in this room. Stress happens when we wrongfully place our hope in something that is hopeless that cannot give us hope. In an ever-changing society, Jesus is the only one that can offer us hope, this righteous branch, as God tells Jeremiah. Jesus offers us true hope right now, each and every single day, a hope that does not disappoint. Even when times are hard, this hope does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5 uh, Paul tells us this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. If anyone's got some things to tell us about suffering, it'd probably be Paul. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Other versions say hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He has been given 
to us. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame because of God's love. His perfect, holy love that he pours into us through the Holy Spirit. That is what we can hope on and we can hope for in our lives. And the cool aspect is Jesus is the center of it all. The reality is that Jesus is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, right here, right now. Walk this earth 2,000 years ago. And we see hope cover to cover in Scripture. Jesus is present from the beginning of time all the way through his incarnation, his death and resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father now and his coming return. Uh, there's a, a documentary that we watched, and there's a gentleman on there named Alistair Begg who describes scripture in this way, and, I, and it was really captivating to me. It stood out to me. It stuck with me, and, and I want to share it with you because this really points to the whole aspect that Jesus is at the core of this faith that we have. Jesus is at the core of the scriptures that we have. So in the Old Testament, he says that Jesus is predicted. Uh, since Genesis chapter 1 Jesus was present and spoken about since Genesis chapter 3. If you don't believe me, go read the Bible. He's there and he's present. Uh, there's even a, a whole children's book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, we will gladly let you look at one because we have plenty. Because we believe that it does a wonderful job of capturing the Old Testament stories and pointing to Jesus. Pointing to this reality that the entire Old Testament is pointing to this God-man. The next one, in the gospel, Jesus is revealed. God with us, Emmanuel. We spent almost a year and a half in John talking about Jesus and his presence with us, how he lived and breathed with his disciples and he ministered and he served. In Acts, Jesus is proclaimed the filling of the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up, gives the first sermon and the church explodes. 3,000 people are added to their numbers just for proclaiming who Jesus is. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and calling for people to repent and turn from their sin and follow Jesus. In the epistles, Jesus is explained. There's books after the Acts, James and John and Peter and Paul and Jude. These books, these letters really are written to the churches to help them understand who Jesus is and how to find and follow him with others and to reach the world around them. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected. Revelation is a book of, of hope and blessing to those who read it. It's maybe full of things that are hard to understand, but it is this reality that Jesus is expected to return for his church. And this gives us not only hope for the present, but also hope for the future and hope for eternity with Jesus. There are times when I look around at the world around us and I, I get stressed out. I get anxious. I get concerned and worried and spun up. And it's because my, my focus is, is not on the things of scripture. It's not on Jesus. I'm trying to look at the concerns of the world and try and control so much of them. The ever-shifting culture that uh, seems to value things that are totally detestable and ungodly. Young people being exposed to things at younger and younger ages that are far from the truth and, and therefore they are struggling to know what is true. This is something Lauren and I see 
often, where young people, they have given up on what truth is because they have no clue. As they hear so many different things that they just said, forget it. Why try? And they're 10. It's, it's awful. The political division that we've seen over the last 10 years, the economic struggle that we've all been in over the last couple of years, the severe famine that is ridding nations around the globe right now, there are, the list could go on and on and on about the reality that our, our world is a hard place to be in. And it, and it really does, for me, it does suck hope out of me. When I get too caught up in the news or get too involved in this thing or that thing and I lose focus on the hope for my life and for all of our lives for eternity. And I've found the, the best response for, for my soul in these times where hope seems to be fleeting is to take a deep breath in and on the exhale, say, come Lord Jesus, come. Which is a phrase we find in 1 Corinthians and also Revelation 22, which is a, was used by the early church. And it's believed that this was a, a greeting with one another in the original Aramaic, which is the language that the early church spoke with each other. The word is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And historians believe it was actually a, a somewhat of a secret greeting to know if you were actually a follower of Jesus because in, in those days, Jesus was the only hope they had. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, your life was on the line. It was a matter of life or death because you could be killed for following Jesus. You could be imprisoned just for saying his name. That was the reality of culture at that time. Jesus really was this hope. And it's this belief of the returning king as Jesus described himself in Matthew 25 where he said, I will return to judge the world righteously. That is hopeful, church, that not only for the hope for the present, but hope for the future. That Jesus will return and he will judge righteously. And in these seasons where hope seems to be fleeting, it is important for us to remind ourselves, and one another of where our our true citizenship lies and that we are no longer citizens of this earth as followers of Jesus, of accepting his salvation, putting our trust in Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior, but that our citizenship is of heaven. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter three, for as I have often told you, And before you now, I tell you again, even with tears, his love and his heart for the church in Philippi may live as enemies. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I love when scripture describes the world that we live in right now. This book written thousands of years ago. Perfect, picture perfectly articulates the world that we're in now. But our citizenship, church, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his 
glorious body. Jesus one day will return and gather his church and take us to be with him. Our citizenship lies with him in heaven. Uh, this time of Christmas, I love Christmas. Uh, I really, I enjoy every aspect of it. All the holiday parties, the decorations, although like our, we, we decorated this weekend and it took all like 30 minutes, which was awesome. It's perfect. Uh, I love this season and I love the music. I love listening to Christmas music. I'm a pre-Thanksgiving Christmas music listener. Hate all you want. It's fine. It's okay. I'll take it because it's so joyful. It's so hopeful. At what point in time does secular music stations play music that talks about the king of the universe? How cool is that? We got him fooled. Anyways, there is one song uh, that, that comes up that actually uh, isn't a Christmas song. And I find this really interesting. I found this out just this year. been singing it for years. Uh, but there's a song that's called Joy to the World. One of the, I would say, one of like the known, like this is the Christmas song that we sing. But it wasn't actually originally written about Christmas. found this fascinating. It was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts. And Isaac Watts wrote this based off of Psalm 98. If you go read Psalm 98, it doesn't really talk about Christmas at all, like Jesus' first coming. But instead, it actually talks about Jesus' second coming, his second advent, as you could say, his return to reign and to rule. And I'm going to throw the words up here, but I mean Dan. Dan's going to throw the words up here. And uh, just, again, we're just going to walk through these because it, bring, it brought to me when I heard it on the radio and I started singing it again, it brought a new meaning to the song to me. That in this season we can, we can praise Jesus for his first coming and yet we can also have hope and recognize his second coming. It says, Joy to the world, for the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. We did not receive her king on his first advent. He was rejected, he was scorned, he was tortured, he was killed, he was shamed. We rejected her king. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let all their songs implore. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the song. You just hear the song in my, in my head. Anyways, we, uh, <laughs> Jesus does not reign over this earth. He reigns in heaven at the right hand of the Father, but not here right now. Last verse, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glorious of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Again, that, that is not true yet. But yet these words are truthful and powerful because they speak of what will be. Where he will rule the earth with truth and grace. He will reign over this earth and they will worship him. And the Lord will be received by this earth. Church, as we behold the Messiah this holiday season, again, don't miss this. Don't miss this moment. May we remember to see Jesus because he changes everything. We don't want to miss out on who Jesus is and the hope that he offers us for both now and for eternity. And today, you may be sitting here like, man, that sounds really good. But like, I, I feel like I have... I keep missing the opportunity to see Jesus. I keep missing the opportunity to really capture hope and have true hope in my life. And I just want to invite you to come have a conversation with Scott, 
or myself or either one of the Olivias and talk about that. Because the reality is that he is right next to you. Jesus is with us. He is present. And he longs and desires to give us hope. To give you hope. That does not put us to shame. That does not disappoint. I want to close with this quote. Uh, it's from a Christmas Advent journal by a, a woman named Christy Gee. And I think that it kind of sets up our framing for Advent this year. If you want to snap a photo, feel free to do so. Um, we may return to this, but if not, please feel free to close your eyes and just let it, the words kind of fall onto you and to sit in with you. And we'll make this available this coming week. She writes this, Christmas is about looking. As you contemplate this Advent season, consider what has your focus. Where are you looking? What are you beholding? Behold goes beyond a simple look and often underscores the call to see something new. Although behold begins with look and certainly doesn't end there. And neither does the message of Christmas. But it is a start. Jesus, Messiah, we thank you for this time that we have to be together, Lord. And we proclaim that you are the hope of the world, both now and for eternity. You are the Son of God, and we, your church, humbly ask you to open our eyes, Jesus. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts to you this Advent season, Lord. Holy Spirit, I invite you to stir up a fresh longing to behold, to see clearly, to not miss the Messiah, Jesus, the one who changes everything. And we ask this in his powerful name.